Well, it must be Wednesday afternoon as you listen at home. We are ready in the studio for another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. I have no idea what we're going to discuss today. I'm going to be in the small chair. Mm. Kelly's in the big chair. My name is Scott Wright. I am a mediocre journalist. I'm Kelly Turner. I'm not a doctor. I'm Katie Givens. I'm not a lawyer. But she's getting there. I'm trying. And we're worried about that. She's getting really We are close. having off uh, the air discussions about how the intro is going to be all screwed up. Yeah, just screwed up. When Katie gets her law degree. So yeah, we may try to sabotage her academic career. I don't know. <laughs> Kelly and I are working on some things on the side that you don't know about, Katie. So uh, Off the record. Though. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to, make that, <laughs> trying to make that work. Anyway, I have no idea what we're going to discuss today. But didn't somebody mention before we went on the air that there are shout outs to be shouted out? Yes. Today, I don't have one. I've got one, but I'm going to save it for next week. You guys both said you have one. So, uh, giddy up. Well, my shout out goes to Benjamin Ledbetter. Benjamin is Jonathan Ledbetter's brother, who we have shouted out in the past. Oh, yeah. to send articles. We'll comment on our stuff. And uh, Benjamin listens to us while he travels for work. So, we appreciate that. Thank you for listening, Benjamin. Yeah, I wonder where, uh, how long does he travel? Do we know? Do we care? I didn't does get into the details okay. of his personal yeah. life. All right. Yeah, uh, we certainly don't want to put those out there for everybody. So Sorry, I'm a mediocre journalist. Those are the kinds of questions <laughs> I ask. Um, I have a shout out to Matt Brown for calling our attention to another crime related to the exorcist. And Matt, I was so fascinated by it that I'm going to devote an entire episode to it. So nice. thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, got yeah, we just did the list. exorcist a couple of weeks back if yeah. you're new to the show. So go back and listen to that uh, before Kelly follows up with whatever that's going to be sometime down the road. Yeah. And I'm, I cannot <laughs> believe that this story didn't come up one time and, all of my references, anything that I was looking up this while you were doing your research, yeah, right? Never came up. So it was, it was learning something new. So I love it. And so thank you, Matt, for that. And You're telling you a listening. mediocre journalist that you want me to be surprised that you missed something in your research because trust <laughs> me, it happens to me all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woo. All right. So uh, that's, that's it for the shout outs. Anything else going on? Mm, I no, not. That, Did nothing. we talk too much before we started recording? Yeah, I think we did. We we ran out of material because we sat here for 20 minutes before we hit the microphones. Yeah. And now we're out of stuff. We did discuss coffee versus tea. That's right. Whether oh, it yeah. is that time of year, whether you're a coffee person or a tea yeah, person. Yeah, I just, I make, if I make coffee, it's just so that the house smells like coffee mm-hmm. for the most part. I'll have one cup and then the rest of it ends up eventually getting poured down the drain. Do you do cream and sugar? Yes. I do like a little coffee with my milkshake. Okay. Gotcha. So, Yeah. Awesome. But I guess you probably don't keep cream and sugar in the house because you I don't keep drink half a lot of coffee. And, well, I keep half and half in the refrigerator, but uh, usually when I make coffee again, I have to pour that out and go to the store and get more because it's already curdled it's already, on me. Yeah. So just, get, just, just get the heavy cream. It lasts like, longer. The, the heavy cream does last longer, and I'm okay with that. I, and I, I tried to do the powdered stuff, Ugh. but I like the temperature change I that I get. I do not like with, powdered creamer. Yeah, it's, that's an emergency if I have to do that. I'd rather drink it black than put powdered creamer in okay. it. Yeah. I um when I put milk in it makes me think of being a kid because my Same. mom would do you know milk and sugar and a splash of coffee yeah. when we were kids That's, like okay so I could do milk but I cannot do powdered yeah. creamer milk no. I, milk I, that's what we grew up doing when we tried mm. to to copy dad mm. uh, oh, yeah. and drink coffee like he was on Saturday mornings we would have to have a splash of milk dad's just sitting there drinking his black and. I like rolling it, rolling his eyes at us. I like my Nespresso, so I just yeah, those are great. Um, drink it black because yeah. it's got the foam on the top that the machine makes. Perfect. And mm-hmm. That yeah. is my. It's really good. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, you asked what we talked about before we we went on the air today. There it is. (laughs) Recap. We are interesting people. Yes, indeed. All right. So this week we are discussing the Jonestown Massacre. You guys ever heard of Jonestown? Yes, Mm. unfortunately. What do you think of... When you think of Jonestown or Jim Jones. Yeah, I was I was a kid. I was seven, eight years old when that happened. Was it 78 when that happened? So I was eight There's years lot, old yeah. uh, when I think what we're going to talk about happened. But mm-hmm. I just, a vague recollection, we watched the news every night at 5.30 because there were only three channels then and mom and dad wanted to watch the news. So we had to sit in the floor and watch the news while we ate dinner. And so I remember it being on the air, Yeah, but I don't remember a lot of the details and I purposely did not refresh my memory today so I could pretend to be surprised. I got you. And actually be surprised. I got you. All right, Katie. I mean, you, I no. think of, you know, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Yep. Yep. Everybody. Right. That's, oh, that's the, where you were where going. The, where the, where the, well, that's Sorry. just one of them, but yeah. that's, that's one of the phrases that we have um, come to know because of the Jonestown massacre. You know, when you're referred to someone as drinking the Kool-Aid, they're buying in blindly to something that uh, are foolishly to something that somebody is saying or mm-hmm. perhaps they don't completely understand. Possibly. Oh, they've drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Once I learned I never really used that phrase a whole lot. I don't know if, if ever. But once I um years ago when I first really dove into the Jonestown massacre, oh, I, I would never use that phrase. Yeah, now. yeah, no. Yeah. It's yeah so if horrible. you know the uh story behind it. Yeah, it's horrible. It's a yeah, it's a you can't, you, if you have a conscience, you, you kind of feel bad after you. Yeah, we're yeah. looking at you, Will Bailey. Oh. <laughs> did not think we were going to go there. The temperature, we just lost a listener. The temperature just no. dropped in here. Will knows what we're talking about. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> yep. All right. So, uh, James Warren Jones, he was born on May the 13th, 1931 in the community of Crete, Indiana. His parents were James Jones and Lynetta. Uh, his father was a disabled World War I veteran who suffered from severe breathing difficulties because he was uh, in a chemical weapons attack. Oh. Yeah, that was, um, so he was on the Western Front in the trenches. That's where they used the gas. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Uh, so he tried to um, have other sources of income by occasionally working on neighborhood road repair projects. His military pension uh, was not enough. He had these war wounds and he got a pension, but it just didn't support his family. So he tried to supplement his income and it would always lead to more difficulties, more financial issues. He just was not able to continue to work. Of course, these financial difficulties are going to lead to marital problems with his parents. Um, In 1934, they were evicted from their home for failure to make mortgage payments. Their relatives are going to purchase a shack for them to live in, in a nearby town of Lynn, Indiana. The new home where Jones grew up is not going to have electricity or plumbing. Um, They're going to attempt to earn some income through farming, but as his father's health continues to deteriorate, that's not going to be a lucrative business for them at all. I mean, farming, farming is still backbreaking work, but even more so back then, less technology, less machinery, a lot more bent over in a field. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And when you already have breathing difficulties, um, that doesn't work well. Um, The family often lacked adequate food and they relied on financial support from their extended family. So if you look at several of the biographies that have been written about Jim Jones, what they'll tell you about his mother 
is that she had no maternal instincts. You know, that is reported by Jones. You want to keep that kind of, but it is kind of um, consistent with what some of the other townspeople report about how Jones just kind of ran wild. I mean, he just kind of no did supervision. what he wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. All right. So when he started to attend school, his extended family threatened to cut off their financial assistance unless the mother got a job because he's going to school. The dad's disabled. She's not doing anything at home. And the family that's funneling them money says, you got to get a job. Meanwhile, his father is going to be hospitalized multiple times due to his illness. And then his parents are very much neglectful and absent during his childhood. And you have already said this, I think, but was Jim Jones, he's an only child? Um, Am I getting ahead of you? I'm sorry. I think so. I don't have any other no mention um, of siblings no none here and i don't know if that is just a jim jones thing you know everything's about him as Mm -hmm. you will learn yeah but i don't know if that's just a thing that he didn't include that but it's not in any of my notes okay so he often wandered the streets um he was cared for by a lot of the female residents of lynn the the area that they lived They frequently invited him into their homes they gave him food they gave him gifts clothing Um, He made friends with the wife of a local Nazarene church, and she gave him a Bible. And as he grew older, he attended services at most of the churches in Lynn. He didn't go to just one. He went to all of them. He found some form of belonging by attending these churches. He he found sort of his chosen family. Sounds more and more like he probably was an only child because he's looking for the connection somewhere. Yeah. So he expresses that he wants to be a preacher at a very early age. And he, he starts doing sermons in private. Like you know, when he's out in the woods or in his home or something, he's you know preparing for that. Yeah. Uh he was baptized in several of the churches in the area, not just one. His mother claimed that she was disturbed when she caught him imitating the pastor of the local Pentecostal church. And she told him he couldn't go anymore, but that was unsuccessful because she couldn't really tell him what to do. She didn't have any control over him. Yeah. But she obviously didn't agree with the the way the Pentecostal individuals chose to worship and how their sermons, things were. That, that bothered her. So she didn't want him to go, but he still attended. Um, although the people in the town had sympathy for Jones because of his poor circumstances, the, the neighbors would say he was unusual. And he was obsessed with religion and death. He regularly visited a casket manufacturer in Lynn and held mock funerals for roadkill that he collected. Oh, good oh, grief. Yeah, no, that's weird. Yeah. One, of, one neighbor um, stated that he killed a cat with a knife to then have one of these funerals. And what is one of the distinguishing characteristics of someone who grows up to become a serial killer? Remember? Cruelty uh, to animals. Cruelty to animals. Yeah. He claimed to have unique abilities, such as the capacity to fly. He once leaped off of a building's roof to demonstrate this, but he fell and broke his arm, but still claimed that he has had these abilities even after the fall. He just couldn't show people. Uh, apparently. It just didn't work at, at that time. Gravity wins that one every time. Every time. Uh, he would 
put other children into life-threatening situations and tell them that he was guided by the angel of death. So eventually, the people in the town, he's going to steal candy from the merchants. His mother's going to have to pay for these thefts. He's a big cusser. He cusses a lot. He commonly greets his friends and neighbors by saying, good morning, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Or, hello, you dirty bastard. Well. But his mother cussed like this. She spoke, I guess you'd say, like a sailor. She uh, found it amusing when people were offended by a woman cussing back in those days. Yeah, I know people like that. that. Right. that. Yeah, yeah, you guys are sitting in the room with a person like that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, he also developed an intense interest in social doctrines. He studied Hitler, Stalin, Marx, and Gandhi. He spent hours in the community library. He brought books home so he could read them in the evenings. He became fascinated with the Nazi party at the beginning of World War II. Red flag. Yeah. Yeah. A quote from Jones uh, regarding his childhood, quote, I was ready to kill by the end of the third grade. I mean, I was so aggressive and hostile. I was ready to kill. Nobody gave me love or any understanding. In those days, a parent was supposed to go with a child to school functions. But there was some kind of school performance and everybody's parents would be there but mine. I'm standing there alone, always was alone. That's end quote there. So his high school friends and school friends are going to call him Jimmy during his youth. Mm -hmm. When they refer to him and they talk about him, they call him Jimmy. Uh, They say that Jimmy always carried his Bible with him. He was a good student who enjoyed debating with his teachers. He also um, had the habit of refusing to respond to anyone who spoke to him first. He only engaged in conversations when he started them. So you come up and talk to him, and he's not going to respond. He just keeps walking. Mm-hmm. Now, in contrast to his peers, he was known to dress in Sunday church clothes every day of the week. His religious views alienated him from other young people. He frequently confronted them for drinking beer, smoking, and dancing. And at times, he would interrupt them during their events or conversations and insist they read the Bible with him. He did not enjoy participating in sports because he hated losing. So he coached teams for younger children instead. And then he began to be disturbed by the way the African Americans were treated who attended these sporting events, these baseball games, whatever that he was coaching for the little kids in Richmond, Indiana. So he takes notice of that early on. And this is, this is what years like? We're in the 40s. 40s, now. okay. Yeah. In 1945, his parents separated and they eventually divorced and he moved to Richmond, Indiana. And that's, that's where he's doing this coaching and he's going to graduate from Richmond High School in December of 1948 and he's going to graduate early and with honors. Jones and his mother lost the financial support of their relatives after the divorce from his father. Must have been dad's side of the family. Apparently. Yeah. To support himself, he began working as an orderly at Richmond's Reed Hospital in 1946. He was well regarded by senior management, but later on, the staff members are going to recall that he did have some disturbing behavior towards some patients and coworkers. 
He starts dating a nurse in training named Marceline May Baldwin while he was working there. And uh, this is the love of his life. Okay. He moves to Bloomington, Indiana in November of 1948, where he attended Indiana University, Bloomington. He wants to be a doctor, but he's going to change his mind shortly after starting school. Now, during this time, he was impressed by a speech uh, that Eleanor Roosevelt delivered about the plight of African-Americans, and he began to encourage support for communism and other radical political views for the first time. So he's getting into a couple of things as he moves into college. He's really pushing for or feeling called to push for racial equality. And he is fascinated by the views of communism. Okay. So Jones and Baldwin, Marceline, continued their relationship while in college. And they married on June the 12th, 1949. Their first home was in Bloomington. And she works at a nearby hospital while he's still attending college. He frequently, emotionally, and psychologically abused Marceline. She, um, <clears throat> well, he insisted on attending Bloomingdale's full gospel tabernacle, but eventually compromised and began going to the Methodist church on Sundays because she had grown up Methodist. Yeah. And this was an issue that they had. He wanted to go to this tabernacle style tent revival type place mm-hmm. right and she's methodist she wants more traditional yeah, that's a little, there's a little different there is a, there's a difference there yeah so he does compromise and he starts going to the methodist church throughout their marriage jones was very insecure he felt the need to test her loyalty and her love and used some very questionable methods to do this uh one of the things that he would do the most common thing was he would tell her that one of her close friends or family members had suddenly died and that he would comfort her over the loss and then finally admit that it was just a story (gasps) this is a this is a pattern with him fool me once shame on you yeah and you're gonna see that um this this pattern with him is going to continue in all aspects of life. He's constantly wanting to test the loyalty of the people around him. Now, it doesn't take a psychology degree to tell you why he feels that way. Go on. He, we've told you all about his childhood. Right. And about how he never belonged. He was an outcast. The neighbors eventually, you know, told their kids they were not to hang out with him. Yeah. You know, the coworkers so, at the when he's the orderly, they see something, yeah, out of kilter. Yeah, so now he's got someone in his life and he feels the need to just abuse her, yeah, to make sure that she loves him. It's a very strange way of thinking, yeah, for real. You finally get somebody who gives you the time of day and you beat them over the head with their own watch, yeah, you, you treat them like garbage, yeah, yeah. Okay, in 1951, they're going to move to Indianapolis, and uh, he is well on his way to being a big local pastor, and he's only 20 years old at this time. 
But in this area of Indiana, he's got some radical beliefs that are not going to jive with that community. I mean, they are, you're talking about the 1950s, and he's talking about communism. Not a great time to be a communist in America. No. The, the Red Scare and the McCarthy hearings and all that stuff. All of that. And he's also talking about all this racial equality that the, the Midwest not is ready not for that. ready to hear. Right. So, he and his wife are going to regularly attend communist party gatherings. He's trying to, when he's preaching, he's trying to incorporate these communist beliefs into his sermons and these uh, racial equality beliefs into his sermons, and that's going to continue to just ruffle feathers yeah. in the area. Now, his father had ties to the KKK, but, but Jones never agreed with this. Even though I told you he was fascinated with the Nazi party, he... Uh, in the same sense, could be fascinated by the the way Hitler did things, but then totally be on board with racial equality. Well, maybe yeah. I guess not in Hitler's reasonings behind why he did things, but just right. his ability probably to do them. Yeah, his, and the fact that he was totally in control—that's yeah. that's something that the, Jones the is level, very fascinated with. Yeah. The level of organization in the Nazi Party, yeah. and the way that everybody marched in—no pun intended—in lockstep oh, with each yeah. other for the duration of the Third Reich. So, yeah, the leadership aspects of Hitler maybe not his. Well, and, and just beliefs. his total domination and control. Yeah. He's very fascinated with that. Yeah. And then the loyalty that Hitler is getting. Yeah. So that's, these are these, these are common themes with Jim Jones in every aspect. It's just, we're just going to keep seeing it over and over. He was still invited to join the Methodist Church in Indianapolis despite these teachings and and these communist beliefs but he's eventually going to leave because they're just going to try to shut all of that down he's going to try to do these guest sermons on these things and they're going to say you know what you're not going to talk about any of that right jones continued to be a champion of civil rights now when people think about jim jones they they think all the bad things and definitely i'm going to give you enough of those to think about before this episode is over but he didn't there were things about him that were good human beings are so complex yeah we all have our redeeming qualities and one of those was he is a champion of civil rights. He was appointed to the Human Rights Commission by the mayor, Charles Boswell, in Indianapolis. He set up stings in restaurants to catch owners and managers refusing to serve black customers. He even went door to door in white neighborhoods, encouraging people to join him in the fight for racial equality. He's literally walking door to door and talking to people. But go back to the setting up the stings and seeing how people react. Jones loves to do this. He loves to set people up and see what they'll do, see how they'll react. It's part of his brainwashing abilities that he has that are like on such another level. Because one of the biggest questions that people ask about Jonestown is how in the world did he convince these people to do the things that they did? And he is a master at brainwashing and testing your loyalty. And when you hear him speak, he's a dynamic speaker. Uh, kind of like Adolf Hitler was. Dynamic. Yeah. 
Right. Strange, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Ugh. Anyways. All right. So, Jones and his wife had what they called a rainbow family. So, he adopted three Korean children, Lou, Suzanne, and Stephanie, a Native American child, Agnes. They had a biological child who was named Stephen Gandhi and eventually became... The Not f- the Gandhi. Oh, yeah. The- Stephen Gandhi. Yeah. And they eventually became the first white couple in Indiana to adopt a black child. And they gave him Jim's name, Jim Jones Jr. Okay. So this was their rainbow family that they were very proud of. So you see that there are some redeeming qualities. He is walking the walk when it comes to the racial equality. He he is uh, at this time. Um, So five children. mm Mm-hmm. He started the Community Unity Church where he used faith healing to get attention and lots of money. And this is going to fund his social activities. He has a lot of social goals that he wants to get. So he starts doing these, quote, fake he- uh, faith healings. I think you had it right the yeah, first fake, time. Yeah, fake, fake. Yeah, yeah, they were. Forty <laughs> slip there. To, yeah, <laughs> to drum up money and right. business. In 1956, he bought his first building. The People's Temple Full Gospel Church is what he named it. He persuaded minorities, mostly African-Americans, to join this church. And he often preached about racial inequality to appeal to his congregation and their money. Mm. He turned this church into a community. It was a socialist haven for his flock. Mm. They had a soup kitchen, elderly care homes, foster homes, Um, and a complex for the developmentally disabled. He encouraged and demanded that his flock give up their possessions in exchange for the temple, quote, taking care of them, end quote. Kind of sounds like organized crime, doesn't it? Just a little bit. Now, remember, he's communist, so he believes in this one central person in control, Mm. and then everybody else is, you know, you funnel everything, to me, all your money, all your possessions, and then I will then care for you. You are my child. You're part of my flock, and I'm going to take care of you. Okay. But you've got to give me everything. It sounds like he genuinely uh, genuinely believes it, at least at this point. Yeah. But th- this is a journey, I'm assuming. It, we are on a journey that whew, is, has a rough ending. Um, <clears throat> but I just wanted to point out that we didn't start off... Yeah, I mean, he's doing some good things. I, I just yeah. wanted to put that out there. Right. But as this continues, and we've got this compound now um, that he calls, you know, his socialist community, <clears throat> he's going to see himself more like Christ, and he's going to talk about that. Okay. So here we go with the ego. He's the beginning and the end for the, the, the temple and the people in the temple. And his sermons and his actions toward his flock are going to change. He's going to take their social security. He's going to take their welfare money. He's going to take all of that. They're going to, you're, you sign that over to us. To become and a full-fledged member of the church. Of the People's Temple Full Gospel Church. Okay. It's a full-service gospel. Yeah. Well, I have a question. I'm afraid you're going to answer it in a second, but I want to ask it anyway. Does he begin to live lavishly? Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Um, now, once he gets to Jonestown, not so much. And we'll, okay. we'll get there. So he's going to use this power that he has now for sexual advances on members of his church, men and women. Oh. From one extreme to the other. Uh-huh. Just like that. It really is non-discriminatory. You throw money in the equation and everybody gets a different motivation. Right. Now, he's going to become increasingly paranoid about a nuclear holocaust. And he's getting tired of these conservative Midwesterners. He's sick of it. So, he's looking for a place to go. And he reads in a magazine that a certain area of Brazil is the safest place in the event of a nuclear holocaust. Wow. So that so becomes gonna, his motivation. Yeah. So he's going to go travel to Brazil mm-hmm. and he's going to, he wants to look at this area, but he has a quick stop off in Guyana. And at this time in 1963, Guyana was still a British colony. Okay. So they visit, they visit area, other areas of Brazil but he finally moves his family to Rio de Janeiro to help build low-cost homes for locals. And he gets, I mean, he's building them. He, again, I told you, he's not afraid to go door-to-door to do the work. But he's, he's, yeah, okay. Um, in 1965, he's going to return back to the States and move his temple to Redwood Valley, California, where there are no conservative Midwesterners. Not a one. And it is at this point that his church is going to boom. It was a very lucrative move for Jim Jones. So these are where his people are. Oh, yes. Uh, Membership is going to drastically increase in California because he's constantly dynamically speaking about racial inequality. We don't stand for this. We've got to... And he's right. Someone needed to champion this. We needed more than Martin Luther King Jr. We needed multiple people and we needed white people to do it. Right. But well, that's how Jim Jones is going to capitalize. Right. And his motives, I can't get a sense. I know ultimately his motives are selfish, but I can't get a sense if they started off being selfish. I just... I don't, he's, he's complex. Yeah. Well, you know, at some point along the way that the money started to roll in mm-hmm. and, you know. He became more and more Christ-like. Two Cadillacs is better than one. Yep. He becomes bolder in his communist sermons and often attack the U.S. for its capitalist system. Now, this is, this is taking place in the 60s in California. This is exactly the, the target audience. They want to hear this. Sure. This capitalist terrible United States and he's preaching communism and they're for it. They're here for it. He called the U.S. capitalist system the system of the Antichrist. He then calls Christianity a religion of enslavement and claimed that his teachings were communistic love and all the more becoming more and more self-important. He to he's projecting himself as yes the face of this yes and business was booming 
the Temple built churches all over California. Membership was reported at 20,000 members at one time. There were 3,000 plus people that would attend his sermons. And sometimes they would only have like two or three days notice. Oh. He would, you know, just kind of pop up in an area and people would flock to hear him. He makes friends with some very uh, famous people. California Governor Jerry Brown, Walter Mondale, the vice president, right. Rosalind Carter, the first lady, Harvey Milk, and even Jane Fonda. Ooh, big supporter of him. Sounds he, like the list. I mean, those people all belong on the same list. <laughs> and he was a huge presence during his sermons and always with those signature sunglasses on. Always. Now, the media is not so supportive of Jones. There's a journalist named Lester Kingslaving, and he wrote an expose in 1972. And what he's going to document in this expose are a lot of the bad things going on with the temple. The financial fraud, the physical abuse, false healings, the temple's armed guards, harassment, bribery, threats, the religious teachings of Jones, and how it is becoming a cult. Jones's self-proclaimed divinity was called into question, and they start calling him a false prophet. And this expose was going to be a series of articles that gets rolled out. Was it magazine, a newspaper? It was, uh, it just, I might say, it just is like an expose. I want to say, I don't know. Okay. I don't want to misspeak on that one. So I'm going to say possibly a magazine because it was, there was going to be several Mm -hmm. issues that got rolled out. But um, it almost sounds like something that would have been, don't roll your eyes when I say this, but would have been in Playboy magazine at the time. Playboy was, there was a time when Playboy was, those guys were some of the best investigative journalists. Oh yeah. I don't know if it was, I didn't, in the country. It doesn't say in in any of the notes that I had that what magazine it was, but it was a good thing for uh, us to search and figure that out. Yeah, we'll figure that out. But the temple's influence got the series stopped. So that, you know, I mean, one did come out, but that was it. So a lot of influence. So some of the dirty laundry's out. places. Yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, But one article was already published, and so the dirty laundry was out. Now, in 1973, eight members known as the Gang of Eight uh, flee the temple. They're going to run away in the middle of the night because they're afraid Jones would not let them leave. And he's going to send search parties after them. They flee to Montana where they reported and documented their complaints. And so that's how we know some of this stuff is true. That's coming out about Jim Jones and his people's temple. Mm -hmm. So it's at this point that Jones is going to start looking for another country to, to move. He's already started that. He's constantly paranoid and worried about a nuclear holocaust but he's also paranoid about some of some trouble that he's getting into you know he's he's kind of on the hot seat because they're talking about financial fraud and Mm -hmm. and physical and sexual abuse and they're coming out with some very serious allegations and these um this gang of eight is going to be able to say yeah this this is true this is happening Mm -hmm. there's some defectors that that leave and they start talking yeah. and telling 
folks about what's really going on in his church. And so he's feeling the pressure. So he's like, we've got to move. Now in 1974, he chooses Guyana. It's going to be free of British rule at this time. The area is going to fit nicely with what his views are. And he's going to basically be left alone to do what he wants in the area. Um, He's going to negotiate a lease for 3,800 acres of very messy, infertile jungle land. And this is going to be his social utopia, Jonestown. As we head toward the 2023 holiday season, the Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism wants to remind everyone who lives in the surrounding area to shop local. Shopping locally means having lunch at a restaurant in town or purchasing unique items in a local shop or boutique or simply filling up your gas tank at the station down the street before hitting the road for a holiday vacation. Small businesses play a major role in maintaining our way of life by supporting our schools and nonprofits and providing jobs in the community. In short, they are giving back. The Chamber encourages you to give back to them by shopping local this holiday season. For more information, visit Cherokee-Chamber.org. Are you in the market for a full-time Weiss Lake home or recreational lot? Let Trini Davis and Elizabeth Powell put their all-star property group at Keller Williams Realty to work for you. Trini and Elizabeth are locals themselves, so they know the Weiss Lake area, and with over 40 years of experience, they're professional listing and buying agents, talented home stagers and photographers, and specialized marketing team will work to make your lakefront dreams come true. Check out the Keller Williams team on Facebook at All Star Property Rome. You can also visit at All Star Property Rome to browse their images on Instagram or give them a call at 706-844-7493. That's the All-Star Property Group with Keller Williams Realty at 706-844-7493. You can hit pause, call them now, and make your Lake dreams a reality. He's not moved there just yet. He's picked the land. They're trying to get the infrastructure going. You know, it takes time. Sure, plumbing, roads, electricity. Right, so, so there are... They've picked the land. They've negotiated a lease. They're starting to build Jonestown. In the meantime, back in the States, something's going to happen that's going to expedite this move. Jones is going to get into some legal trouble. He's going to get arrested in L.A. for soliciting sex from a male police officer in a public bathroom. Because he gets arrested for this, he's going to now turn all of his sexual advances inward. To the church. He's not going to do it outside of the church anymore. Um, And he's going to justify it from the pulpit (gasps) using his sermons, his gospel. He's going to explain to his congregation, here's how this is going to go from now on. Yep. All right. In 1977, a second article is going to be released by Marshall Kilduff, and it's going to appear in New West Magazine. Same guy who wrote the first article? No. Different different journalist. Yes. It's going to talk about the good and the bad of the temple. Some of the bad things that they talk about are public humiliations, spankings, members being forced uh, to box until they're knocked unconscious, being vomited and urinated on for punishment, um, financial fraud, and members signing over all of their assets. They're going to start getting some concrete proof of that, that, that he's forcing people to do this. Grace Stone is a member of his inner circle, and she's going to leave. 
the church. And she's going to talk about financial fraud. And she's going to be able to tell the authorities how this is happening. But she's also very, very concerned because her five-year-old son, John, is still there as well as her husband. And she's very fearful fearful of their lives. An editor is going to call Jones and warn him that this article is coming out. So still he has influence. Oh, lots. And they're going to give him a heads up that this is coming out. And so in the summer of 1977, they move to Guyana. Okay. He's running from this article. Uh Uh-huh. And from all of the things that go with it. Yeah, because next comes a grand jury being convened and charges and incarceration. and Yes. Now, this move is too soon because Jonestown is going to require more infrastructure and supplies, but he's desperate to leave. Yeah. So, in 1978, there's almost 1,000 people that live there in Jonestown. He's encouraged 1,000 people. To pick up and move to Guyana. To go to Guyana. Are they, they Americans have- who have relocated? No, Are they? Yes, they're American. Guyanans. No, they're Americans. Okay. <clears throat> the living conditions are reported to be isolated. It is impossible to leave there. At times, they're only eating rice because everything has to be brought in. Remember, I said that the land is messy. It's jungle land. It's infertile. It's a terrible So, I mean, you're location. not. They're not. Farming. I mean, there's a reason that the people who live in this country don't live in this area of Guyana. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's, it's not like there's a Walmart. No. And it's uh, described by many as, quote, like a prison. And Jones controlled everything. He controlled the incoming and the outgoing mail. So if any of the members tried to write to their family back home and ask for help to get out, he saw it. Okay. And he filtered out all the negative letters and allowed all the positive letters to go home. So there's no documentation at the time of people begging to be saved from Jonestown. Now, Tim Stone, Grace Stone's husband, is going to leave at this point. And they are going to get into a court battle for their son, John. Remember, their, their Wait, son- Wait, they both left their kid there. They, they allowed Jim and Marceline Jones to adopt their son. So Jim, Jim is going to claim to be his actual father. Jim Jones is going to say- and he's got the documentation to prove it. I am this child's father. Right. Actually, this is my child. And you're going to- allow me we're going to adopt him and they agree i mean i think agree is probably yeah what what can you actually consent to at this point if you're part of this cult well because if they both feel strongly enough to leave it but the child's still there i mean sure they were not able to take that child out no no they were not able to take him out and so they're going to go to court about this and the, the u.s court is going to award custody of john Back to the stones, to the parents. Yeah, and who's going to enforce that? No one. A thousand miles away in Guyana. Because Jones is going to refuse to turn him over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's going to say, you know, we adopted him years prior. He's our son. 
Then a group calling themselves the Concerned Relatives forms, and they're going to try and rescue their loved ones from Guyana and bring them back to the States. But this is never going to work because Jones has his own army. They're called the Red Brigade. They were the only people in this area in Jonestown with firearms. So they controlled everybody. He controlled everything they did. He often ordered them to punish members in inhumane ways, and he even threatened possible diverters as well as their family members. You leave, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to send them out into the jungle with my Red Brigade. Mm -hmm. Never to return. Right. Now, Deborah Layton escaped from Jonestown in May of 1978, and she said Jones, she comes back to the States with some very alarming news, and she says... He is preparing his members for a mass suicide. He is calling it revolutionary suicide. She knew it. And she's screaming from the tops of her lungs. She's saying this is, he is doing this. And so she's going to get the the attention in the ear of Congressman Leo Ryan. And he's going to start getting involved. He first got involved when the Stones were trying to get custody of their child. So there's going to be many, many affidavits filed. Nothing's going to happen. But the members of the concerned relatives are going to continue to file them, listing many violations of their family members' civil rights over in Guyana. You've got Americans who are being held hostage in Guyana. They don't have civil rights. You've got to do something. We've got a thousand Americans. And people have various reasons why they think nothing was done. Number one, the majority of the people over there were black. And so people say there's not a, there was not a lot of hurry to help, which may be true. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. But there's also not a whole lot, you know, if you look at, we don't, I mean, we do get involved in other countries, but it's usually for other reasons. Yeah, I'm, I'm at a loss to figure out what anybody could have really done about it. Well, and the government anyway, saying, you reach out you know, to the government of Guyana and say, "We're the United States of America. Help us!" And then yes. the the government would be compelled to do that. I don't know if that. Well, and they step know is taken. it's it has been brought to their attention too. They know something's going on there. Yeah. They know that it's not, but they're not a very strong presence. They don't have a very strong army, or you know, and he's got armed guards all around the place. And they just just as soon shoot your dad walking up there as to talk to you. I'm sure Guyana is a beautiful place, but I have never been there. I don't know anybody who'd ever heard of Guyana before this happened or anybody who's seen it in the news once since. Well, and of course, he vetted the place. He talked to the leaders there. Now, is he near the beach or is he near? No, he's in the jungle. He's up. He's in the jungle. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's. I mean, there is a... Guyana is on the coast of... Northern South America, but obviously this is in the He's jungle. up in the jungle. Right. Yeah. All right. So Deborah Layton is in May of 78. She's telling everybody this is happening. Congressman Ryan is, is trying to file these affidavits with the, with the concerned relatives. Now, meanwhile, in Guyana, Jones is going to test the loyalty of, of his inner circle. Remember those loyalty tests I was telling you about? And he's going to call these mock revolutionary suicides. And he would do these in what he would call the White Knights. And uh, what he does is he's going to hold votes 
and he's going to present, okay, in the event of a nuclear holocaust, our choices are we can move to Russia, we can run into the jungle, or revolutionary suicide. And the members vote revolutionary suicide every time. What is revolutionary suicide? Oh my gosh, it's a freeing. They're not going to, we're not taking our own lives. They're not taking our lives. We're freeing ourselves, you know. For the, for life after death. Absolutely. We are, we will now be free. We will finally be free of this oppression, this inequality, this, you know, all of the bad things that's going on in the United States, he's telling them that they're rounding up yeah. black people in the United States and just shooting them on site. We had to move thousands of miles from our homeland just for a, a modicum of peace. Mm-hmm. We've got one step left after that. And they're coming. And they're coming this. for us. They're coming for us. They're going to come and get you. We've got to do something. Their only form of communication is Jim Jones to the outside world. He would have the Red Brigade go out into the jungle and fire bullets into the camp so they could prepare. This is what they're going to do. They're going to come in guns blazing. They're going to try to get us. We will not be captured. We will be free. You know, this Find is your what safe he's place. doing. Get, do, run your fire drill. Yes. We're practicing. And then there's going to all of a sudden appear these big vats of flavor aid. It's not actually Kool-Aid. It's flavor aid. And he's, he's going to test the, he's going to start with his inner circle and he's going to test their loyalty. And he's going to say, uh, this has poison in it and you're going to drink this for me. And in 45 minutes, you're going to be dead, but we've got to do this. This is what we've got to do. He does this multiple times with the inner circle and they drink it every time. And then he says, well, there was no poison in it. Ha ha, just kidding like but he I hit know, that to his wife. But I know I can trust you now. Now you're, you're, you're in, you're with me, mm-hmm. you're a part of me. You know, you're my loyal, faithful servant whom I'm so proud of. Mm-hmm. And he does this and then he starts doing it with the entire, he starts with his inner circle, but then he starts doing it with everybody there and they drink it on multiple occasions when it, when they thought it had poison, but it didn't. So he's, so not only did he convince them to do this. Yeah. Not only did he convince them to do this one time, they'd been practicing. And this is what this Deborah Layton is saying. Cause she was involved in his inner circle on one of those nights gotcha. when they had to, and it terrified her to the point of, she said, I've got to get out. She wrote a book that, um, we have referenced in our show notes here about her time there. And you get, you know, the perspective of her, someone who was on the inside. Yeah. Wow. Now he's constantly testing these recipes for this event, flavor aid and cyanide. But you can't just buy a ton of cyanide enough to kill a thousand people. You have to acquire cyanide in small doses over a course of whatever time it takes. So what he has to do is he has to register himself as a jeweler. Because cyanide was used at the time to clean and polish gold. Mm. Okay. So he does this and then from the moment they move to Jonestown, he's ordering cyanide. And stockpiling And stockpiling it from from day one. So he had this planned from day one. Wow. 
he's constantly calling himself a prophet. And he's telling them that suicide is the only option based on, quote, what is to come. He's got them convinced he know he knows the future. Yep. Um, all right, so he's becoming more and more paranoid about this nuclear holocaust. Um, this is probably attributed to the fact that he was constantly using amphetamines and barbiturates. Hmm. That and, would make you paranoid. Yeah, uh, phenobarbital. Is what he's using a lot of. Now, for, is he just self-medicating? Is he just a drug addict? Yeah, he's an addict. Okay. Yeah. And this is why some believe that he always wore those glasses because the side effect of these drugs is sensitivity to light. Mm -hmm. So, he's got those glasses on all the time, but he is, one huge side effect from, especially amphetamines, is paranoia. Yes. And so, he's consistently worried and fretful and paranoid. But he's also worried and fretful for Jim Jones because if he goes back to the States, he's going to get into sure, some trouble. Yeah. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Yeah. Because they were out to get him. Right. But they're not out to get anybody else. Yeah. They're coming for Jim Jones. But he's convinced his followers that... It's them. They're all going to be persecuted. And the U.S., you know, by telling them that they're rounding up black families and black communities in the United States and just gunning them down on site. He's telling them that, that that's what it's come to in the United States. And it wasn't great in the United States for minorities at the time, but that wasn't happening. Right. Like he, he's. But if you were the only source of information. Yeah. And make them believe whatever. When you listen to Jones's final speech, there are times when he's just almost inaudible from slurring. He is so high. He is so messed up in this final speech that he's talking through. And we'll get to that final speech here in just a moment. But let me say this. In November of 1978, Congressman Leo Ryan finally travels to Guyana. He's going there on a fact-finding mission. He wants to go to Jonestown. He wants to see it for himself. He wants to see. He's getting mixed responses. It can't be as bad as some of these people are telling me I'm going to go see for myself. Right, because some people are reporting still that it's good. But remember, Jones is only allowing the good mail to come out of Mm -hmm. Jonestown. All right, so he goes to Guyana with relatives of the Temple members an NBC camera crew, reporters for several newspapers, and he gets there. Their capital is Georgetown. Mm. And so I don't want you to get confused when I'm talking about Georgetown. I'm talking about in Guyana. So they get there on November the 15th. Two days later, they travel by airplane to a, an area there where they, the airstrip there where that's closest to Jonestown. And they're going to get transported there. They um, Jones hosts a reception for the delegation that evening uh, at the Central Pavilion in Jonestown, during which Temple member Vernon Gosney is going to pass a note that is meant for Ryan. He's going to give it to NBC reporter Don Harris. And the note is requesting assistance for himself and other temple members. One of them is Monica Bagby. They are ready to leave. 
but they're afraid. Now, during the time that they are visiting, Ryan is going to meet with temple members face-to-face. He's going to talk to them. He's going to interview them, and they're going to tell him how great everything is. Everything's fine. It's wonderful here. It looks like a utopia. People are happy. Kids are playing, you know, and they're going to say everything's fine. But then that night at the reception is when they're going to get some of these notes passed where they're going to quietly slip notes. They're afraid. Yeah. And so there's about uh, 15 temple members who who want to leave. And so Congressman Ryan uh, and his delegation, they're going to leave very quickly the afternoon of November, November 18th. But before he leaves, he's going to avoid being stabbed by a temple member. And, and a member's going to try to attack him because they've gotten wind that he's going to take some of these people out with him. And then they're going to leave. They're saying, all right, we got to go. So they're going to get to the, uh, the, the airstrip uh-huh. where the planes are. And they take these 15 people. And there they're going to get attacked by the Red Brigade. They're going to... Jones is going to send them after the... His Red Brigade. Mm-hmm. They, they go after the congressman. Yep, and everybody. And they're going to just open fire on these planes. And then there's one temple member who expresses that he wants to leave. But the other temple members are telling Congressman Ryan, no, he's lying. He's wanting to sabotage what we're trying to do, but Congressman Ryan lets him come anyway. Mm -hmm. So when the Red Brigade starts firing at them, he gets up and starts attacking members there. So he he was a plant. Yeah, he was. And uh, the gunmen are going to kill Congressman Ryan and four others. The member of the temple that was the plant, Mm -hmm. um, he is going to attack Gosney and Bagby, the, the first two that slipped the note. And then he's going to shoot himself after that. There were five people killed at the airstrip. Ryan, Harris, Brown, and Greg Robinson. So these are the people that were part of his brigade. The NBC reporter, the congressman, uh, a couple of his delegates that were there, they're going to get killed. And so it is at this point that Jim Jones knows he's got to move on his plan. He's yeah, just had a congressman murdered. Right. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that the, the government's coming now yeah, for me. Yeah. So in the meantime, while they are going to shoot the congressman. There are huge vats of flavorade and cyanide that are being prepared. Large metal tubs. And it's grape, flavorade, and cyanide. And I mean, fl- I guess flavorade's just some generic Kool-Aid. It's like a generic Kool-Aid, but Kool-Aid got the bad rap. Yeah, yeah, yeah they probably didn't love that. Yeah. All right. Later the same day, November the 18th, 1978, Jones received word that his security guards failed to kill all of Ryan's party. And so he's saying that these people who escaped are going to inform the U.S. They're going to come attack us. The, The time is now. Here we go. It is time. 
And so he sets into this final speech that he's making. And I have listened to this. It's 45, 50 minutes long. Mm. You can find it online. He is very calm in his speech. He's very convincing. But as the speech goes on, you can tell that he has taken something because he just gets more incoherent. The speech doesn't make sense to me anyway because I don't agree with anything Jones is saying. But in in this tape, they call it the death tape, you can hear people getting up there and talking with him. They're thanking him. They call him father. They're thanking him for everything he's done for them. They're proud. They're happy to do this. And then you have some, particularly, there was a female voice on the on the recording who had been part of his inner circle for a while. And she's saying, well, can't we go to Russia? We talked about going to Russia and yeah, I voted for Russia. Yeah. And he's saying, we can't do this. Uh, Russia. He said, you think, you think Russia's going to want us with all this stigma now? No, we, the Congressman is dead. Russia's not going to take us in. We've painted ourselves into a corner. Yeah. And he says, uh, the only answer is this revolutionary suicide. And he is talking and rambling and he's telling them, we, you know, we've got to do this. And, and you can listen to that if you want to. I don't recommend it because as he's talking, there's some point in time during the tape where they start drinking the flavor aid and cyanide mm. and what they while do, he is still speaking. while he's still speaking because he's like let's go let's do this okay. now let's do this come on and they they give it to the children first mm. in little syringes that don't have needles on it like i'm talking one-year-olds and like eye droppers yeah like you would feed a baby and in the meantime he's still talking you hear in the background these blood curdling screams of these children you can hear uh-uh, them dying no, uh-uh. and that's why i said when i was texting you i was like there are some things you can't unhear mm, yeah and i'm not gonna play that for anybody but there and he's saying He's justifying that, uh, you know, don't be afraid to die. We must die with some dignity. You know, we're not committing suicide. We're committing an act of revolutionary suicide, protesting the conditions of an inhumane world. And then he starts going, stop that crying. Stop that crying and die with some dignity. To babies, he's saying that. To children and and peop- and other people who are taking it too. I guess I didn't realize that cyanide was a painful way to die mm-hmm. i just i guess i just thought that you know like in the in the movies when the nazi secret agent bites into a cyanide capsule he foams at the mouth and he's dead in two seconds mm-hmm. it's fairly quick but it's not quick enough not quick enough Mm-mm. right and so the whole time he's saying that now <clears throat> did uh did jim jones drink it i i was Waiting for you to tell me that. Yeah. I wanted to ask, but I didn't want to spoil the end. Wait, does he not? They find Jim Jones with a bullet in his head. So Self-inflicted he's, bullet wound. He's listened to everyone else die. And he and chickens then, out. He shoots himself. That's how it's ruled. 
Some people say the gun was not laying close enough to him uh, okay. for it to be. Uh, so I think I someone mean, else shot him? Somebody might have. Somebody might have shot Did him. Did anybody not drink it? Was it was it a it was was it every was single a, person in there was a lady that was near him that um do you think there's a possibility sort of caretaker that she had a bullet in her head and he did too and that was it and so what was the number i know it's close to a thousand people right it's um is it 909 there's 909 people that died some people have said um 918. It's 909 people that died there. 909 people that died in Guyana. Um, now, Jim Jones's sons, Stephen, Jim Jones Jr., they were in Georgetown in Guyana playing in a basketball tournament on this day. He sent his children so off. So they didn't uh, die. It wasn't all of his children. So they didn't die that day. It was like he forgot. Well, it was like they you said, were gone, but everything was going so fast. Yeah, his timetable got altered mm-hmm. by the death of. I mean, was it so? It was on one day the congressman and his entourage are murdered on the airstrip, and the next day the mass suicide. Uh, I mean, is say, it that? It's it might be the same day. Okay, actually. because I mean that's got to be the motivating factor, like you said. Mm-hmm. Now, now he knows that the government's going to come after him. Yeah. I'm just wondering if he didn't have someone kill him, if he was like checking that box, if he wasn't so sure about the suicide yeah. aspect of making it to wherever he thinks he's going. Hey. It was all on November the 18th. And okay. in the early evening of November the 18th, there's a temple member, uh, Sharon Amos, who is in Georgetown. And that is Georgetown, Guyana. The capital of Guyana. Yeah, she received a radio message from Jonestown telling the members there to exact vengeance on the temple's foes before committing revolutionary suicide. Later, after police arrived at the headquarters, Sharon escorted her children uh, into a bathroom. She killed them all with a kitchen knife. Oh, Lord. And then um, one... uh, Let's see. Okay. She escorted her children into the bathroom. She killed two of them. One of her children, she had cut her throat. So I'm I'm being very confusing. She killed two of her children. The other child left, killed her. They sort of helped and then killed herself. Does that make sense? Sort of. Okay. So... She goes in there. Loyal to the end is what you're telling me. Yeah. She goes in there with her three children, kills two of them. The other child kills her and then her final child kills herself. So she has the child kill her? Yeah. Or the child? Slit her throat. Okay. So because she couldn't do it herself? Apparently not. That's why I'm wondering about Jim Jones. If he had to have someone kill him. He might have had the other lady shoot, you know. Yeah. I don't know how that works, but um, that's not on any of any of the recordings. Well, if everybody's still dead at the end, he got what he wanted. Everybody is dead. Uh, nine hundred and nine people, and of course, there are conspiracy theories out there who believe that this was a U.S. government plot. I am not inclined to believe that because of the pattern of Jim Jones's behavior the loyalty testing and listening to that tape. Jones wasn't taken by surprise. This is something he planned from the day he moved there. Yeah. He, in procuring the cyanide, 
doing the white knights, the mock revolutionary suicide. That was always his final solution for what happened in absolutely in Jonestown. Yeah. What do we ever hear from his sons that survived? His son, I believe they they had put him in jail for a while until they figured out he didn't know anything about it or have anything to do with it. But um, I believe you can look up. I didn't go into the children too much. I yeah. try not to. Um, yeah, I, get I try not to do that when you have folk. I know their whole life is, you know, ruined. Yeah. This yeah, is an entry level true crime podcast. It is. Yeah. But I know that he made some sort of statement of I would probably be in a really bad place had I been there. Um, I think he's, what I got from his comment was that he was grateful that he wasn't there that day and that he's been able to separate himself from his father. Well, sure, but if he would have been there that day, he'd be dead. He'd be dead. Like, there, he wouldn't have, yeah. There and there are a few people who escaped that day who did not commit the mass I mean, we, suicide. Yeah, we've, we've, we've got at least 15 people, right, who slipped him letters or whatever. We know that they... Didn't, yeah, because they even they though they got attacked on the runway, they didn't actually. Were they all? Everybody who wanted to leave was allowed to go out to the airstrip so that the Red Brigade could shoot them down. Yeah, that was kind of the point okay. they were going to, but they didn't. The uh, we'll get rid of the bad apples on the runway. Yeah, and then we won't have any. Uh, we won't have any strays when we right. all drink the the great flavor aid flavor aid tonight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So. Um, they pretty much survived the the temple members. It was it was the congressman and the reporters and that were killed there okay. on the airstrip. Okay. <coughs> Sorry. So yeah, we're all a little sniffly and coffee today. Uh, coffee yeah, today, I am too, and I'm, I'm trying drinking, to. I'm drinking my tea here, my hot tea. Yeah, trying it's, to. It's that time of year in Alabama. The it's 40 degrees in the morning and 75 degrees at two in the afternoon. So yeah, sorry, sorry. about the the voice <laughs> stuff today, but um, so that's Jim Jim Jones and and yeah. Jim Jones has shown up in pop culture for for many years now. There was a made for TV special, I believe Powers Booth. Powers Booth him. did that, yeah. yeah. And uh, I didn't get to, I, I, I saw it years ago, but I haven't seen it recently. But I would like to go back and watch it. I know he won an Emmy for it. It was back when they would do these things called made-for-TV movies. Right. Yeah. It'd be like a limited series. I always liked a made-for-TV movie. Yeah. Well, it was a lot harder for the networks to get their hands on uh, a cinematic fare at the time. So yeah. the, and they wanted their own creativity. So now you turn it on ABC or CBS at night, and there's probably an Indiana Jones movie playing or, or Katniss Everdeen is oh. dodging arrows. Now it's a lot. Now the studios own the networks. So yeah. Um, get what you're saying. I didn't yeah. understand what you were saying to begin with. I'm yeah. not sure that I did, or maybe I still don't. So, <laughs> so the Guyanese military arrived in Jonestown to find all of the, uh, members dead. Yeah. United States military organized an airlift to bring the remains back to the U.S. to be buried. Oh, wow. That had to That's be a, a lot of C-130s. Yeah. Jones was found dead on the stage of the Central Pavilion. He was resting on a pillow near his deck chair with a gunshot wound to his head. Jones's body was later removed for examination and uh, the official autopsy that was conducted there in Guyana confirmed his death uh, as suicide. Now, Stephen, the son, the biological son, speculated that his father may have directed someone else to shoot him. 
So that could yeah. explain the where the gun was located. Um, and it was near his body, but some people say, well, it was not close enough for it to be I suicide. feel like you can still call that suicide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, autopsy showed high levels of barbiturates in his body, uh, which could have been lethal to to some humans who had but, not had a physical tolerance to it. He'd been yeah. using it for years and years, right. which explains the uh, the ramblings and the way that he's speaking, slurring. I'm going to take your word for it. On. I am not going to go back no. and listen to that. I'll, I'll take your word. I bet he took a lot that day, you know, just to... He took I mean, a he, lot of something. He's he going to die, so why not? Yeah, you know, and, he was like deteriorating in yeah. speech. And, yeah. he, and he's telling them, you know, everybody line up, take the medication. Yeah, no use leaving take the last the, two pills in the drawer. I may as well take it. Well, right. and that's what he's calling the the flavor aid. Take take the medication, and he's uh, you know, and then he's he trails off, and he's, you know, and then he's and then he's going to talk some more, and he's I don't know. It's just a ramblings of a madman. Well, I would love to just cast this off as a as a one and done something that we've never heard of before, but unfortunately, this happens. You know, the folks who uh, who were the same shoes back in the nineties because they were convinced there was a, there was a comet mm-hmm. that was approaching earth. And if they committed mass suicide at just the right time, they'd go off yep. to the great beyond together. So, um, Joan, Jim Jones jr. And, uh, Steven, they were placed under police surveillance for several months. Um, and Jim Jones jr. Is going to live with his older sister, Suzanne, who had actually turned against the temple. So she was not buying her father's. She was one of the Korean children that they had adopted. And she... Apparently the smartest of his children. She took in Jim Jones Jr. He lived with her for a while while they cleared him and Stephen of everything. Because that's it. They were playing basketball that day in Georgetown. And then, uh, unfortunately, the son of... uh, the stones. Oh no, really? John was found there oh. in Jonestown. Um, it was just it was found just outside Jones's house. His body was. So unfortunately, they did not get their son out of Jonestown before the the massacre happened. So I hate to I hate to give you that, but you know we had talked about the stones and yeah, they I'm glad were you, so. I'm glad I would have thought to ask you about that in the car on the way home if you hadn't told me because I wondered about that. Yeah, they were they were very key to getting this attention brought to Jonestown. Couldn't and happen fast. Kind of set yeah. this into motion, and with the testimony of Deborah Layton, you know she's she comes out very worried, saying he this is what he's planning. We've got to stop it. And we just well, sounds like the effort was underway, but it just yeah, yeah didn't come to fruition soon enough. No, to avoid it, it didn't. Um, so that's Jim Jones. Uh, I've got some reading here. Raven, the untold story of the Reverend Jim Jones and his people. Uh, that's by Tim Reiterman with John Jacobs, and then there's another uh, book, The Suicide Cult by Marshall Kilduff, and. Seductive Poison, a Jonestown Survivor Story of Life and Death in the People's Temple, and that's by Deborah Lake. That's her. The okay. Lady. Yeah. Okay. I also have some other references that I sent Katie that'll be in the show notes, just general facts and dates. I think and sometimes things. Katie puts things in the show notes and sometimes she doesn't. <laughs> no, I'm not sure about that. That's what I was say. There was a series not that long ago where the 
I can't remember what it was, but the first show notes just disappeared on me. So there are about three episodes with no show notes because I continued the trend. She's blaming it on the computer. That's what I do at my job. So I, like I, I would love to make fun. It didn't even have like but... the sponsors or the like anything. I was like, I don't, I don't know where any of these notes went. No. I can go back and edit. So I, I think I went back and put in the sponsors and everything, but. I was really just giving you a hard time. I don't know if you do it or not. Uh, yeah, because you don't read them. You've told I never me that looked. you don't read the show I'm notes. I've stopped giving you my notes. Like, whatever I use as reference material, I just don't even send it to you anymore. And you haven't asked me for it once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, in a signed note found at the end of her death, Marceline, his wife, directed that Jones's assets be given to the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. The, the People's uh, Temple Secretary had already made arrangements for $7.3 million dollars. Uh, in temple funds to be transferred to the Soviet embassy in Guyana. Most of the money was held in foreign bank accounts and was transferred electronically, but $680,000 was held in cash and three carriers were hired to transport the cash to the Soviets. Um, But they were arrested before reaching their destination and claimed to have hidden most of the money. So probably didn't make it. Sounds like another true crime. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. There's, there's no, what a, can you even say And about I'm that? sorry, let me correct Kelly. That's a courier, not a carrier. Kelly's currently on sinus medication. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of somebody who's well, rambling on, uh, but but the couriers uh, were arrested, but uh, they said they've hidden most of the money. So who knows where that money went, right? Yeah. And the supporters of the People's Temple, especially the politicians, had a difficult time explaining their connections to Joan's death. Uh, after a period of reflection, some admitted that they had been tricked by Jones. For instance, uh, Rosalind Carter and Jimmy Carter and the San Francisco mayor, George Muscone. Uh, you know, all of these high up people right. that were such big Jim Jones supporters all of a sudden had a change of heart. After it this, happens, as you do, and and here's as the thing, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and, and here's the thing, he was very dynamic and a very convincing human being. He convinced 909 people to drink poisoned Kool Aid. They thought that it was they knew. poison multiple times and drank it. Yeah. It was Flavor Aid. Not going to say that Kool Aid, but um. He was convincing and able to brainwash people. And I've always been very fascinated by this. You've got these dynamic cult leaders who have been able to convince a large amount of people to to do these things. And I am forever fascinated by it. Yeah, but and I'm going to screw this line up, but there's a line in the movie Men in Black where Tommy Lee Jones is explaining to Will Smith's character, a person is smart. But a group of people are dumb, panicky animals that will follow anybody. That's so true. And that's that's it. That is so that's true. That's the difference between a person and a group of people. I mean, and look, I don't want to get too mean and, and hateful, but I can take one look at that dude from the, the Heaven's Gate thing. Yeah. And no, I'm going in the other direction. Yes. Just yeah. one look. It's the eyes that do it for me. But people talk about what a charismatic individual he was. I don't think I could have ever gotten past the face. Maybe that's why he hid his eyes. I don't, Maybe his eyes would have given him away. Jim Jones? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I think they were just sensitive to light. He was stoned all the time. But he probably looked high. I mean, your eyes show when you're high. Gosh. This is true. So I'm told. I mean, Charles Manson. How many times yeah. did, did have you looked 
at a picture of him and went, oh. Yeah. Yeah, like you could, like you spotted that one. But it's like some people, people don't. can't yeah. read people, this I think. This is true. I think that may be more common that maybe what you're talking about is less common. Yeah, yeah. that's that's a, that's a rarer skill than we maybe realize. Maybe. But for some reason, they followed him to death. I mean, they laid down and died for him and did it with what he called dignity. And a lot of people say that it doesn't, the way the bodies were placed, that there was, you know, it didn't look right. But he's encouraging them to lie down and go to sleep. It was the, what was the babies first and then the toddlers and then the teenagers and then It was the children, then the parents. Yeah. Then, you know, and at some point in time, the Red Brigade and then him. And that was that. And uh, so if you look at pictures from Jonestown and you see the bodies lying there, it is, um, it's an eye opener. Yeah. Yeah. There is a, there is an organization to the way that it happened. Yeah. It's clear. Like you said, they rehearsed it several times. And he's talking about it in his final speech. I mean, he's telling them, you know. Right. So (laughs) it's really sickening. Um, And I don't know, I just don't relate, relate to that. I'm not saying I could never be brainwashed, but I just don't relate to, you know, if you're involved in something and this leader who's a great dynamic speaker is asking you to do things that you know are not right, that's a red flag. It's just strange to me how folks, um, well, people like that, people like that are able to convince people that, that that it is the right thing somehow yeah. some way they yeah. they this is the only course of action we have like you said he he let them vote and I could I can understand this with the the folks here in Guyana because they were so isolated they, right. he took them out of the United States and he lost a lot of followers when he left the United States there were sure, people who, yeah. who were you know members of the church but they didn't move to not willing to, to pick up and go no. Yeah, well, you said he went from what three thousand at Going his sermons, to hear him, sir, twenty thousand yeah. members. Members, we're we're down to less than a thousand who have picked up and moved. Right, that's a hard right. ask. Yeah, yeah, it is. I'm surprised there were that many, but mm-hmm. they had no possessions anymore. You know, he was there beginning and their end. Let go of everything and just move thousands of miles away and yeah, start over. Yep. So that's the story of Jim Jones. There's several books. There's a couple of uh, movies and documentaries that I encourage you to watch. Um, and, and just to, I don't encourage you to listen to his last speech, but there are many recordings of his sermons that you can, you can at least hear what a dynamic speaker yeah, you'll he get, was. You'll get snips and clips if you yeah. do if any you go, deep diving. Yeah. So anyways, that's it. Jonestown, the Jonestown Massacre. Don't be mad at me when I say this. I'm glad that's over. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not That was mad. a tough one to listen to. It was a tough one to research. Yeah. So, uh, a lot of disturbing pictures and audio. and Check us so. out online at truecrimeoneasystreet.com. Go to Apple iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Or don't. <laughs> yeah. For and on down, we don't care. We want the five-star reviews. Leave us your name. We'll give you a shout-out on a future episode of the show. We've got some cool stuff coming up. 
as we wrap up season three here, as we get into December of 2023, season four is already on the planning table. Yeah. yeah. Are, Can you believe that? We've got our Frankenstein monster of season four. We're slapping stuff together. We'll have it all organized. He'll be up and walking around by January. Oh, yeah. We'll throw that switch. That You better believe that it. Day. It will be alive. Is that it? Are we done? We're done. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>